I think for me, and I'm guessing this is the way that it is for a lot of people, I think it's like this unfortunate habit of making a hierarchy or a pecking order in my brain. And if I think that somebody's gonna think I'm better than them, then I try to knock myself down. And then if I'm, oh, I'm the one that's like not good enough, then I'm like either needing to like somehow prove myself or just, oh, don't say anything and maybe nobody will notice that you like don't belong yeah. here. So mm-hmm. I think our society trains us to look for where do we fall into that hierarchy. And it's sad because it's, I don't think it's accurate. I know it's not true, but it is something where I find myself subconsciously doing. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you with me today, as always. And I've got a great episode for you today. I told you that I had some great topics and some great guests coming in right off the bat here in 2022. And today is no different. Again, another former student that I really loved working with. And boy, are we going to have this conversation is so rich. Even if you are not Laura Schoenfeld's ideal client, because she has a very specific niche, you definitely want to stay on this interview. I know you're going to learn some things about business no matter what, but the second half of the interview, we really dive in. We dive into some very specific and rich topics around voice that I know so many of you are going to relate to. And she's got some amazing insight and input and share on this. So I don't want you to miss it. Very quickly, quick reminder, CaptivateTheRoom.com forward slash experience. I've got my voice experience, live coaching, online, one-time training, although I am doing it two times this time. I'm doing it on the 8th and the 10th. I don't want you to miss it. The first time I ran this was several months ago, and it was incredible. So make sure you go over to CaptivateTheRoom.com forward slash experience and get signed up to participate in this. Okay, let me tell you about Laura. I had the opportunity to meet Laura at James Wedmore's Mastermind when I went out there to do a little bit of speaking and teaching, and then... I had the opportunity to work with her after that. And I really, really love Laura. I love, I loved working with her. And I especially love the insight that she brings today to this conversation because I know it's going to be so relatable to you. But let me tell you a little bit about her. Laura Schoenfeld is a registered dietitian women's health expert, and business coach for integrative and functional dietitians and nutritionists. Her mission is to educate women on how to nourish their bodies, minds, and spirits and help nutrition professionals grow and scale a successful business. Now, right at this moment, don't go, oh, well, I'm not any of that. So I guess I won't listen to this episode. No, I already said you got to stay to the end 
or the second half, we're going to talk about voice, but really everything Laura talks about is applicable to everybody across the board. But as a specialist trained in functional medical nutrition therapy, she's helped hundreds of women optimize their hormone and gut health while allowing for flexibility in their diet and lifestyle choices. Drawing on her background as a teaching assistant and mentor for the Cresser Institute's ADAPT, ADAPT Functional Practitioner Program, Laura has coached dozens of dietitians and nutritionists on how to grow their businesses for financial success. She has contributed to Prevention Magazine, Reader's Digest, Mind Body Green, and Experience Life Magazine, and has been featured on the Listen to Your Body podcast, Fertility Friday, Ben Greenfield Fitness, the Paleo Solution podcast, and the Food Heaven podcast, and now the Captivate the Room podcast. Okay, I know you're going to love hearing from Laura. So let's head on over to the show. Laura, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tracy. And I have to tell you, y'all are in for a treat. I was already excited about having Laura on the show, but then we had a little conversation before I hit record and get ready. Just get ready because we are going to uncover some things that discuss some things that I know so many of you can relate to. And so let's just dive in. I want, we were going to talk about your work and run into business and all of that, but I would love to start with some stuff around voice. Now, like I mentioned in the intro, I had the opportunity to work with Laura. And so I want to touch on a couple of things. And the first thing that I want to touch on, well, you know what, maybe you should tell us what you do. (laughs) No pressure, right? Um, So at the moment, I was going to say, I've had a pretty extensive online business career. I've been doing stuff in the online space for over 10 years now. I started off my business as a functional medicine dietitian, working with people, helping them with a wide variety of health issues. So um, I wasn't... I guess I had a niche. It was kind of a paleo ancestral health nutritionist, which back in 2014, that was definitely a hot area of nutrition. And a lot of people were looking for it. Over the course of a few years, I narrowed down into women's health and nutrition and focusing on things like fertility and hormone health, that kind of thing. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, I decided to pivot into business coaching for a variety of reasons that could probably fill its own podcast, but essentially a bunch of opportunities came up. I had been mentoring some dietitians with their business back in 2019 in the first half of 2020. And I decided to go all in on the business coaching as like my only offer essentially in 2020. So now we're in 2022 and I'm still running the business coaching and our focus is helping nutrition entrepreneurs start, grow and scale an online business. Our core offer that we sell usually twice a year is called the Nutrition Business Accelerator. And that's a 12-week coaching program that goes over... Really, there's two core areas that it focuses on. One is helping dietitians and nutritionists identify the offer that they're selling and the price point and 
what they're actually helping people with. So really developing a, a awesome offer. And then once they've got that offer created, then learning how to market it effectively and to actually sell it. So it's a very nutshell version of what we do in that program. But that's a lot of what I focus on helping my clients with is creating effective offers and then selling them effectively using content marketing, which I've been doing since 2011. That I love it. I love it. And I'm sitting here listening to you. And I always think it's so funny when I have former students on the show. And it's not that I'm never listening to you when I'm working with you, but I'm so focused on voice and things like that, that when I have you on the show, I really get to learn so much more about the work that you do. And let's just stay on business for a minute because do you like this better? That's actually an interesting question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. Um, Okay. It's hard to say. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons. Like there's definitely things about the business coaching space that are very different than the health space. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as whether I like it better or not, that's a tough question. I think, I don't know if I could say whether I like it better necessarily. I think what I can say is that it's a better representation of all the different skill sets that I have. Mm. So with the nutrition side of things, I was very good at that. I still am decent at it. I've kind of <laughs> lost a lot of my... Uh, depth of knowledge that I used to have about that kind of stuff. But I think something that always made me good at nutrition was my ability to find the source of the problem for people, which I think is just a general skill that I have is, you know, rooting out the root of the issue and then figuring out a plan for resolving it. So that definitely was very important with the nutrition side of things. I think one of the reasons why I'm a little bit more suited to the business coaching piece is because I also have a lot of experience with writing and content creation. And I also really love all the mindset stuff, which definitely came into play with the health piece. But I find entrepreneurs to be much more interested and open-minded to learning about that kind of thing. So I've always enjoyed working with people who had either entrepreneurial goals or ran their own business or just like were more of that goal-oriented type of person. And so working with entrepreneurs allows me to get into conversations about stuff that, you know, if we're just focusing on health, somebody may not be as interested in. So I wouldn't say I necessarily like it better, but I do think that the particular breadth of skills that I have and the things that I tend to be especially good at do suit this business a little bit better than the health business. Yeah. But it sounds like both of them, and maybe I'm maybe I'm getting this wrong, but it sounds like both of them have a little bit of that quality of the sleuth aspect. Yeah. Which is what it sounds like lights you. I mean, I get that, mm-hmm. right? I want to find out what's going on behind that voice. And I would think that you're doing that in the coaching dietitians as well, helping them build their business. Yeah. 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 Especially when I'm doing one-on-one, a lot of that work is looking to figure out maybe what's preventing a person from getting results in their business. I'm just thinking about a call I had today where she had set some goals for herself about what she wanted to do in her business. And by the end of the call, we realized that those weren't even really goals that she actually wanted. And the reason she had picked those goals is because she thought she had to do something new as opposed to focusing on refining and improving the thing that she already was selling. So, so I think I can see blind spots for people decently well. I can figure out solutions to problems pretty well. And I can figure out what is the actual problem that maybe is below the surface 
pretty well. So again, that did come in handy with health for sure, because a lot of the people I worked with had very challenging health cases that required a lot of research and digging into and conversation. And with the business stuff, it's it's similar, but it's just a different mm-hmm. way of approaching the solution. And I, I just find that you can be a little bit more creative with it. Something that I always used to get a little frustrated by in the health space is how everything has to have scientific evidence, Mm -hmm. right? Like it has to be research supported. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but unfortunately, especially in the, not only the nutrition space, but also the women's health space, there isn't a lot of research. Like there's just not a lot of research being Hmm. done. So a lot of what I would do with clients was a lot more intuitive based, which worked well. And it wasn't like it wasn't helping people, but you know, that doesn't always fly when you're a health professional, when you're trying to, you know, take guesses on things or do intuitive work as opposed to it being, oh, this is the clinical guidelines for this particular health issue. Because a lot of times clients would come to me with an issue that literally had no medical solution to it. Yeah. You know, I had that conversation, a similar conversation the other day about how my work is so intuitive. And that's an interesting degree of frustration, I guess, because you're probably right. You probably intuitively know. And I know I don't know anything about that space, but I always hear them talking about how incredibly regulated it is around Facebook ads and you can't say this and you can't say that. And so as somebody who feels into things, that's that's almost like a tightrope. Yeah. Well, and of course, I would always want to look for evidence if it existed, but there were so many times that it didn't and you just had to go with what you thought might help somebody. Whereas in the business coaching space, for better or worse, it isn't regulated, right? Like nobody, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to come after me if I'm teaching a certain methodology for business growth that there isn't evidence to support or somebody disagrees with it, right? It's, It's pretty much a wild west at this point which I actually like. I'm the kind of person I'm a little bit rebellious and I don't like being told what to do. And so (laughs) if I think something's the best way to do it, that's how I want to do it. And I don't want to be told that, oh, well, that's not evidence supported or something. Because in my mind, if it works, then that's evidence, right? And unfortunately, used to be the way science worked and now it doesn't really seem to work that way anymore. And so for me, the way that my brain works, the way that I like to live my life, trying to fit into that like, box didn't, wasn't as fun for me. So if we're talking about fun, I think the fun part about business coaching for me is the freedom to do whatever I want and not have like any sort of regulations to worry about. But I always loved helping people with their health. And one of my favorite things to do was help women get pregnant, especially because it was really cool to know that you had a small part to play in a new human getting created. So that was my favorite type of health challenge to help people work through. But like I said, it's the work itself was fun, but trying to navigate the boundaries of, well, is this actually in your scope of practice? Is this something that's, you know, if somebody found out you were doing this, would you lose your license? There was just a lot of that kind of question, which it's workable. It's just, like I said, I'm the kind of person that doesn't like rules and doesn't like mm-hmm. me. I mean, I'll follow rules if they make sense. Obviously I'm not going to like, you know, speed on a, on a busy road or something like that. But um, if, it, if the rule is just arbitrary in my mind that I don't like following them. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. How much of the work that you do with clients and work that one-on-one or, or work with people in your programs ends up coming back to mindset? 
That's a good question. It depends on the level of business that they're at. Because for a lot of my clients that are new to business or just getting started, a lot of it is actually learning skills and things that they never learned in school. Um, One of the things that's really common for nutrition education is to be trained as a generalist. I've never heard of a nutrition program training any sort of specialties. You might get a specialty focus if you get a specific internship that can help you learn about a particular topic. But pretty much most, if not all, nutritionists come out of school having a wide range of knowledge, but no, no expertise in a particular area. And then when they get into business, unfortunately, that doesn't work for business. You can't just come onto the scene and hang your shingle up and say, I'm a nutritionist. And unless you live in a town that you're the only nutritionist and you're seeing people locally and it's like you or nothing, that's probably not going to work super well for growing a successful business. So that's something as an example that I train my clients how to pick and how to actually execute on. And yeah, there's mindset stuff that comes up with that because there's beliefs that block them. There's the imposter syndrome stuff. There's, oh, I'm not an expert. So how can I say I'm an expert in this? But a lot of times they don't even know the actual path to take. Mm -hmm. So they have to start taking the path before the mindset stuff comes up. When I work with my more advanced clients, a lot of times that's where mindset work comes more into play. Now, I'm definitely not a mindset expert. I don't consider myself like a mindset coach necessarily, but that is something that I'm always paying attention to if I think mm-hmm. the issue is a mindset issue versus a strategy issue. Because usually there's going to be a little bit of both, but I tend to be more of a strategy focused coach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I teach the strategy, I help them execute it. And then if mindset stuff starts coming up, that's where we start to talk about it. So for my clients and for the work that I do, usually it's take action. And then if there's resistance, let's figure out why there's resistance as opposed to coming straight at the mindset as being the core issue. Yeah. You know, we had a, we were talking about, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I made a comment that I'm good at voice and everything else. No, I am not. Strategy, I don't understand. Tell me what I need to do. And I really have trained myself to stay in my lane. And I would, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how beneficial it must be for some of the people that you raise up on building this business because maybe some of them, I mean, for me, understanding how to build a business. Okay, whoa, 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 back that up, back that up. Do you see that and and really thrive on teaching people how to do that? So it's funny you ask that because I do feel like having a wide breadth of knowledge and experience and expertise to share can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's really nice to have the ability to support people with a variety of things that they're bringing to the table. And it also makes it a little harder to specialize and to really be known for a particular thing, which Mm. I feel very strongly, the more you get known for a particular service or result or transformation, the faster your business will grow. So that's actually something I've had to kind of train myself to really narrow my focus, especially in the marketing and the messaging and the content development. Because if it were up to me, if I was just creating content for whatever came to my mind as being something that would be useful, my course would probably be like five years long. Right? So <laughs> I, had, I had to do a lot of work to narrow it down and actually say, okay, what do they really need to know in that 12 weeks to be successful and leave out stuff that I actually have knowledge and expertise around. So 
it kind of, I don't think there's necessarily a, a better or worse situation. Like you being a, a hyper specialist doesn't mean that your business won't thrive. If anything, people just know what they're going to get when they go to work yeah. with you. And it's a very specific thing that they're getting. Um, so for me, I really had to actually like train myself to be able to do that as opposed to, oh, I'll just help you with anything. And whatever you come mm-hmm. to me with is something I can I can help you with. So I'm certainly not upset to have a lot of experience to pull from, but again, it can pose an interesting challenge when you're like, wait, what do they actually need to know? And leaving out stuff that it's like, oh, that would be so interesting, but it's not really relevant to the the goal that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And you may have said this and I just didn't pick it up, but did you have your own nutrition practice? Yeah. 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 You you had Mm -hmm. your own thing. So you were really running a business then. Oh yeah. I've, um, I started my own nutrition business online and there was a little bit in person, but it was primarily online, Mm -hmm. um, eight years ago, actually. Oh, okay. So yeah. And then I had been working for a person named Chris Cresser, who, if anyone is familiar with like the paleo ancestral health community, he's kind of popular in that area. It's kind of like a Mark Hyman type. I don't know. Mm. Mark Hyman's usually the one that everybody knows, but I actually was supporting him and his business online starting in 2012. So I've been either working behind the scenes or running my own online business for 10 years. And really most of it was in the health space. It's only been the last two, two and a half years that I've even been doing business coaching. But throughout that whole 10 years, I've been learning about business strategy in order to grow my business. And now I just take what I've been taught over the past decade and turn it into content that I can teach other nutritionists. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And I did not know that you specialized in helping people get pregnant. Yeah. I had a program called Get Your Period Back that was primarily for women that either had amenorrhea, which is a completely missing period Mm -hmm. or irregular period. So they weren't having a regular period. And a lot of times that can be a big deterrent to fertility. So a lot of my clients that came to me for fertility issues weren't cycling regularly. Um, Some of them were, but, you know, just helping women with their hormone health in general was something I, I really loved doing partially because of my own experience with hormone issues when I was in my twenties. But um, like I said, there's something just extra fun about helping somebody get pregnant. Yeah. And I think that's super interesting because you yourself (laughs) are pregnant now. Yes, ma'am. 17 weeks as of the time of this recording. (laughs) Yeah. And we've certainly had conversations about how you've been feeling and how you've been doing. And I want to talk about the challenges in business, but I want to talk about specifically, did this turn the apple cart upside down a little bit or how has it been? What has been surprising? What has been not surprising? What Let's talk about how it has been running a successful business pregnant. Yeah. Well, I will say I definitely was delaying that start date it's something that I had been thinking about for, gosh, probably at least a couple of years. I'm not the kind of person that's always wanted to be a mom or anything. So it's been like, is this something I really want? You know, mm-hmm. do I not want it? And I came to this conclusion that I felt I would regret not having kids. So I was like, okay, so if I'm going to regret not having kids and I'm currently 34, you know, mm-hmm. I hate to say that time's ticking, but... It is, you know, so over the last, really the whole business coaching pivot, one of the reasons why I did it is because I saw this as an opportunity to 
change my business into the type of business that I knew that would support the lifestyle goals that I have. One of the challenges I used to run into in my nutrition business was getting kind of stuck in that one-on-one model. And I had group programs and I honestly could have made any of them very successful, but I never like... I never latched on to that as being the thing I wanted to really go all in on. And then when this business coaching opportunity rolled around and I realized that this was something that I did like doing and I knew I could scale it to be my core offer, I saw that not only as an opportunity to do something that I was excited about, but also an opportunity to build the type of business that would allow me to step out of one-on-one and also to have a longer maternity leave without you know, basically Mm. having no revenue coming in. And not to say you can't do that in the nutrition space. You definitely can. I've had clients do it. But for me, part of the challenge is I'm the breadwinner of my family. You know, my husband works for me now. He was a teacher, but teachers make nothing basically in North Carolina. And so, you know, a lot of our financial situation was resting on my shoulders. And Mm. for me to have a couple months where I'm not bringing in any money really wasn't I mean, I guess it could have been possible if we had totally like downsized our lifestyle, but I didn't really want to like sell my house and, you know, move and stuff so that I didn't have to work for several months. So I saw this as an opportunity to have a business that could be the type of business that I saw other people building that I knew I wanted, but didn't know exactly what would be the the offer that would get me there. And so when this nutrition business accelerator program turned into such an immediate success, it was clear to me that, okay, this is the program that I can take to multi six figures and seven figures. And maybe that's the only thing I sell and I can still have my whole business be functional. Mm -hmm. So that was on my mind from 2020 through the end of last year. And then I'm a Christian. And one of the things that guides my big decisions is my relationship with God and the whole time to get pregnant thing kept kind of coming up in my prayer time and my, you know, Mm. consciousness, especially like when thinking about, you know, am I actually following God's will for my life? And so I kind of got to a place where I was like, all right, I'm asking God to bless my business and to like bless all this stuff that I'm doing, but I'm not even following his instruction in my life. So that Mm. was really the impetus for getting well, I wouldn't say for getting pregnant. I would say for stopping preventing getting pregnant. Yeah. And of course, because I've been taking care of my health for you know years at this point, we got pregnant immediately as soon as we started <laughs> uh, remotely trying. Um, and so that, that was a situation where I'd been preparing for that possibility for a, few, a while, like a good year mm-hmm. and a half. And I was definitely unprepared for how bad I was going to feel with the first trimester. Now, what I will say is I've worked with a lot of women that had horrific first trimesters. So I certainly do not want to compare myself to people who are vomiting like six times a day and can't get out of bed or you know need to go to the hospital, that kind of thing. But when you're someone who's used to having... a, am not like a super high energy person. I'm not like a, you know, like... I don't know. You know, those kind of people that yeah. cross is like very high energy. Um but I, I feel like I'm I, I'm used to having a good amount of energy that I can control and I can turn on and off and show up when I need to show up. And during that first trimester, I was very nauseous all day. I could hardly eat anything because my appetite was so 
low. I had to force feed myself because if your blood sugar gets messed up, Mm -hmm. it gets worse with the nausea. And then my fatigue was awful. I've never been that tired in my life. Like there would be days where I felt like I literally couldn't move because my body just felt so, so tired. And I'd have to take like a three hour nap and then go sleep, sleep 10 hours at night. (laughs) And I'm like not used to feeling that way. So that was definitely that blindsided me a little bit because, you know, I kind of like, I knew that women get nauseous and I figured, okay, well, you know, I probably won't get super sick because I'm generally pretty healthy, but the fatigue thing, I definitely was not prepared for and the amount Mm -hmm. of like brain fog and everything. So that was definitely something that threw stuff for a loop a little bit. It was definitely a hard last two months of 2021, trying to finish out the year with the offers and the commitments that I had made. I mean, I had made a commitment back in the summer to run a six hour training for a group that I was running. And I was like really not feeling well that day. And I had to show up and run a six hour training. I think I did a good job, but it was definitely, I was not looking forward to having to be teaching and yeah. and coaching for six hours straight when I was feeling so poorly. So I will say, I'm glad I did the things that I did to prepare. And I also feel like there was a lot of times where I wasn't super happy with how I was feeling and how I knew I was going to show up for different calls because I just knew there's literally no way I can actually operate the way I'm used to in this, in this uh, season. Yeah. Yeah, that exhaustion, I remember it well. I think I would lose entire months because I think I slept through them on that front end when I was pregnant with Jack. Yeah, so, but you're doing good now. Yeah, luckily, nausea seems to be gone. So I always get a little nervous. Like, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to get sick later. But I think at this point, it's been a good week and a half without any of the nausea. So I am in my second trimester. So that is supposed to be... For yeah. most women, not all women, but for most women, the time that it lets up and the energy has been a little better, which I think partially is due to my ability to eat more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but also just, you know, the hormonal changes and everything. So yeah. things, things are better. And I also think I'm kind of getting a little more used to it, which, sure, you know, isn't necessarily ideal. I don't want to be used to feeling tired all the time, but I know once I have a baby, that's probably. Oh yeah. You think this is tired. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, I think I, I think I knew going into, in the potential for pregnancy that the postpartum period would be very exhausting, but I also figured I would not be working during that time. So for the first time, yeah. So for the first trimester to be like my full normal schedule with like 18 one-on-one coaching clients and three programs that I was running and, you know, I'm in a mastermind and I'm doing all these like, you know, bonus calls and everything. It was, uh, I was not, I was not prepared for how I was going to feel during that particular period. So luckily this year I've pretty much almost hundred percent eliminated one-on-one mm. and I dropped one out of my three offers So, and I'm training my team to take over a lot of what I do, which is almost most of the work I'm doing these days is training my team, which is a weird, but good change. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of changes that I've made that are allowing things to still function and also are preparing for the maternity leave um, that kind of got forced to happen because of how I was feeling the last few months. Yeah. Yeah, but you've really been able to see there that strategicness 
has come into play and you've really been able to look at, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do and readjust so that you really are going to have a great year lined up. Mm -hmm. Well, and my goals, especially in the last year and a half, particularly last year, I started working with our mutual friend, James Wedmore, who Mm -hmm. a lot of what he's teaching us in his mastermind is all about team building and getting really into that visionary role and stepping out of the day-to-day operations of the business. So that's been a big focus of my education in business in the last year plus. And so it's been what I've wanted to do, but it's just funny when you actually like the rubber hits the road and it's like, oh, I actually Mm -hmm. can't do this now. Because usually I could always find a way, like I can do it myself. I can do it myself. And the last three months, it's like, I literally can't do this. So it has to get passed off. And so it kind of just made everything move a lot faster. So even though it's there's a lot of work that goes into that and it's not my favorite type of work, like training somebody else how to do what I do is definitely not something that's like the fun work in my mind. But I know what's going to happen is that when this actually gets executed and and created, that the potential that our business will now have and that and at that point will be much higher than what it is when I'm doing so much of the work myself. Oh yeah. It's James that says you have to slow down to speed up, right? Is that, is that one? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he came up with that quote, but he certainly says it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's exciting. It's exciting. And you've got a team supporting you and lots of great things happening. I want to shift a little bit over to voice. Because I think there are some things that we've talked about and we've worked on that are are so valuable. Now, one of them is in this business that you created, you started a podcast and the name of your podcast, Fed and Fearless. Yeah. So I've actually been podcasting since 2013. Oh, okay. You started this with the new... Okay. So you'd already had the show. Well, this is my second show. I used to run another show back starting in 2013. I think we wrapped it up in 2018. So we were running that one for a while and it was it was a co-hosted show, which I actually really enjoy having a co-host mm. um, as you and I have discussed since mm-hmm. it's like my desired cop-out for learning how to, to speak <laughs> without having a conversation. But this one, the Fed and Fearless podcast, I started in, I think the end of 2018 or maybe the end of 2019. I'm trying to remember now. I've, I'm kind of losing track of life. Yeah. I feel like pre-COVID is like what world we're we yeah. living in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one, I had started well before my coaching business shifted to business coaching. So it's been an interesting couple of, I guess a year now where I've been trying to pivot that that focus of that that show to more entrepreneurial type things. We still talk about health because a lot of my clients will come on and talk about their their mm. expertise with health, but it is something that I think we're on like episode 120 or something for that one. And then the old one, I think we got up to a little over 200 episodes mm. on that. So definitely been doing okay. the podcast thing for a while, a little bit of a break there, but it's uh, it's definitely been a part of my business strategy for several years now. Yeah, I love it. I think it's a great part of a business strategy. And one of the reasons I wanted to have Laura talk about her podcast is because one of the things that I noticed when we started working together was there was some heavy scripting or heavy outlining. I I, I don't even remember, but I know there was this, was it a script? 
Did you? Yeah. So when I do solo episodes, I'm 100% by myself. So I don't have a co-host or anything to banter with. And for those episodes, most times I would, I wouldn't say it was like a full out script, but my notes were written a lot of times in full sentences. And I would end up reading a fair bit Mm-hmm. trying to make sure I was saying what I wanted to say or getting the words right, as you like to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was kind of like half outline, half script that I was definitely reading a lot from. Yeah, but you don't do that so much anymore, do you? I try my best not to. I, I will say my last episode I recorded, there was a couple of times that I had a script because I was trying to remember to invite people to the right. <laughs> like I had a, a mm. free training I was inviting people to. I was like, I got to get the details right of this. And I felt myself not doing that as well as when I just have my little bullet points. But yeah, lately I've really just been trying to focus on having bullet points with like a few words to jog mm-hmm. my memory about what to talk about. And I've had multiple people say that they felt that the quality of the podcast had improved for my solo episodes. That's awesome. Definitely more conversational and easy to be conversational and really sound like you. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard sell for some of my people. Wait a minute. Hold on. What do you mean? I'm not going to have this script. No, no, no. But you're doing great without that full script. So, well, it's funny because I tend to be I tend to procrastinate a lot when it comes to recording those episodes. Half the time I'm waiting until the last day that Mm -hmm. they're due before recording them. And I think I have this belief in my head that I'm not going to know what to say or I'm not going to have enough to say. And so many times I've gotten on the the recording mic and found that, gosh, I could talk for like over an hour about something, <laughs> which then I have to pay extra because my <laughs> my podcast team is uh, contracted to an hour. So I'm like, oh, I got to stop going over that hour time limit. But then there's my little fear-based mind saying, what if you only have like 15 minutes of something to talk about? So that's been a mindset challenge that I'm working through for the last few months is this idea that I don't have stuff to share which I know is not true. Like logically, sure. I know it's not as I'm sure you can tell on this show, I can, I can yeah. keep, keep talking <laughs> a lot. So I know that that's not actually true, but it's funny whenever I get into a situation where I know I'm going to be doing public speaking and I don't have a lot of, you know, prepared notes or, you know, exact mm-hmm. things that I want to say, there is that part of me that's questioning oh, I don't, what if I just start rambling or what if I, you know, don't actually do a good job or I don't provide value. And so that's definitely still a limiting belief that I've been working on because it's, um, it's definitely not helpful. And it's also counterproductive with what I know to be true about the way my voice sounds when I'm not scripted, which is totally different. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up, that you said that, because I think that's a big hang up for a lot of people. I'd love to do a podcast, but I'm not going to have enough to say, or I'd like to do video, but I don't really have anything to say. And generally that is some of that false proof that I talk about. You really do. You're very eloquently articulating lots of information today. So it's this protection mechanism of the subconscious to try to derail you from doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you ever not had enough words in the podcast? That's doubtful, I would say. I, th- <laughs> I think I will say one that I might have evidence for is my tendency to 
go off on tangents. Mm. I don't know what it is about my brain, but I'll just have thoughts about stuff. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to talk about this. And sometimes I get off track, but that's where the bullet points come into play. Because if I keep the bullet points in front of me, I can remember to circle back, even if I start to wander off a little bit. So I wouldn't go and not have any sort of notes. Like I'm not just going to totally show up to a a solo podcast and just start talking and have no idea what I'm going to be talking about. A conversation, I can answer questions. That's and that's one of the reasons I like having a, a co-host is because mm-hmm. conversations are easy for me, but doing a solo episode is always a little bit more challenging. But it's definitely better for me to have minimal bullet points to remind me of what I want to talk about, just to jog my memory and then to mm-hmm. let whatever comes out come out. Yeah, I can see that point. I can see that for sure. But I think that's so common. I I think that people have a lot of thoughts around how it's not going to go well, but then they they forget to recognize the proof of how well it's really going. You said something just then that made me think of another thing that we were talking about before we started, and we didn't really dive into it, but sounding professional. Mm -hmm. This is a big thing for a lot of people. A lot of my people, they've well, no, I can't reveal who I am. I've got to be professional. Now, did you feel the same way? It's interesting because I don't, I don't know if I ever really felt that that was true, but I did have people saying that to me about, you know, how I'm showing up and, oh, it's not professional to do this. Or we, I used to get a lot of negative. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, honestly, it probably wasn't in the grand scheme of things might've been half a percent of our listeners. So, you know, (laughs) keep that in context. But, um, there was a decent amount of feedback that myself and my co-host of my old podcast used to get about our voices Mm -hmm. being childish or girly, or somebody used to say I had vocal fry, which when I Googled that, it's like supposed to be what the Kardashians sound like when they're speaking. And so I, I feel like And I don't know, maybe I got better and that's why people don't criticize me as much anymore. Or maybe people just have different expectations than they used to have in 2014 or 2015. But I think a lot of it was people's expectations of what a professional woman should sound like. I know my mom used to, you know, say, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not professional. And in my mind, I never signed up to be professional. You know, I I didn't start an online business to just like operate the same way I would operate in a hospital setting or in a clinic setting. And the definition of of professional is so arbitrary and subjective anyway. Mm-hmm. So I personally would prefer to just be myself. Mm-hmm. And if somebody thinks that's unprofessional, then they can go get their information from somebody else. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of pressure for sure in the earlier part of my career to show up a certain way. I think at this stage either I'm not available for it and I don't get it because of that, or, you know, I think I've done a, I have done a lot of work to be able to speak more confidently as, you know, I hired you as one of those, (laughs) those things, but it isn't, it isn't something that I've gotten a lot of comments about recently. So I just know a lot of people struggle with it because it's, there's this like nebulous definition of professional that everyone's trying to, you know, accommodate. And it's like, what does that even mean anymore? Yeah, such a beautiful answer. That was perfectly put. Who's got the rule book on what the definition of that is anyway? Because I am all about 
I want to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is you're not going to be, I mean, and, and it's all subjective, but people have corporate people. They're like, oh no, I've got to be professional. I'm like, you could not be, Mm -hmm. but we get bought into this, whatever that means. And I really feel like it does a lot of damage. Yeah. Because it starts shifting who you are and, oh, mm-hmm. I got to be this, but that's not, you already were that to begin with. You already were professional, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, as an example, something that comes up a lot for the people in my space is cursing as an example. Oh. So I have colleagues in the health space that use language <laughs> that mm-hmm. is, you know, maybe considered adult or inappropriate. Um, I don't, but that's also just because that's kind of a personal core value in general to not use those words. I do think that, you know, in certain situations, curse words or whatever you want to call them can actually distract from the message. Um, I know me personally, if I'm listening to somebody that's cursing a lot, I'm not offended by it or like, oh, this person's so blah, 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 whatever. I just can't really pay attention to the content as well because the curse words are kind of like pulling me out of Mm -hmm. listening. So if somebody curses a lot, I actually would probably not choose to listen to them as a mentor or a speaker or whatever, because I just can't get the value from that the way I can get it from somebody who doesn't curse. So do I think that cursing is quote unquote unprofessional? Again, everybody gets to decide what's appropriate for them. But I think it's important to recognize that if you choose to use certain forms of speech that certain people may not appreciate or may not enjoy you will turn certain people away. And then of course, you're going to attract certain people, right? Certain people will love the fact that you talk like that Mm because they talk like that. So especially in the online business space where I feel like personal branding is so important, especially if you have a personal brand business, you really do need to show up as yourself. Just committing to whatever you're going to commit to. If you're somebody who curses on your coaching calls, then you better be cursing in public because nobody wants to sign up to work with a coach that all of a sudden changes who they are or Mm -hmm. like they're a totally different person behind closed doors than they were in their public persona. So yeah, I think if you're going to be doing things that would be traditionally unprofessional, it's totally fine. I just think the consistency is important between public and private or, or, you know, behind paid doors and also just accept the fact that the way you speak is going to attract and repel certain people. And that's totally fine. As long as you know, you know, who are the people that you're attracting with the way that you're speaking? Well, it has certainly worked for Gary V. <laughs> I don't listen to Gary right? V. So that's an example well, of something yeah, I can't uh, learn from. And see, I don't listen to Gary V either, but good grief, he's got hundreds of hundreds of thousands yeah. of followers. And I, as a former theater person, theater director, that was a question that always came up. Does the character really need to talk that way? And I always felt like, And it so much has changed since then. But there was in the 80s, back when y'all were one, there was this real shock and awe thing about it. You know, it was really there was something to it. But the thing I love the most about what you just said, and I have talked to my people ad nauseum about that, is I need that consistency. Mm -hmm. I want your video voice to be the same as your real life voice, as your Thanksgiving dinner voice. I think that's really important myself. And I think it's internally exhausting. I've got people that, oh, no, 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 at the office, I don't say anything, but I am not like that at home. Okay, how do you balance that? Mm -hmm. 
you know, and if it's, if it's who you are, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a whole nother episode, Laura. Maybe we have you come back and we talk about the professional <laughs> episode because I know you've, you've had people say things to you like you're not professional. You don't sound mm-hmm. professional. Yeah. And or for me being a woman, and especially when I was younger, it was that I didn't sound intelligent, which mm. I tend to think I'm a relatively intelligent person. So, you know, if you don't talk a certain way, people mm-hmm. make assumptions about, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, I can't trust you because you're not smart enough to be trustworthy yeah. or whatever. So yeah, I do think, like I said, I don't know if I'm just getting out of it because I don't care and people don't share this kind of stuff with me anymore. But I really do think over the last few years, at least in the online business space, I can't speak to corporate. I've literally never had a corporate job before, but in the online business space, I don't think people care as much about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think they really do just want that consistency because if you're a different person in different scenarios, that doesn't seem very trustworthy, right? Like I I would trust somebody more if they're consistently the same person in whatever environment that they're in versus if they sound super smart or if they drop an F-bomb here or there. Like it just is a different, it's a different trust point than what I think maybe people would have considered trustworthy 15, 20 years ago, which would have been, you know, proper English, no cursing, you know, very polished, that kind of thing. So and again, I could be totally wrong, but I've been in this space for a decade now and it seems like it's gotten easier to just be yourself, which I think is probably a lot to do with social media. I'm sure. And I think, you know, those are the trends that I track and the data that I track. And it's stunning right now that years ago, we all had this beautiful, everything was a beautiful voice and and everything is perfect and fabulous. And people are vehemently rejecting that now, especially over the last two years. They're seeking connection. They're seeking, I need to know who you are. And I've been waiting a lifetime for that, mm-hmm. you know, but years ago it was radio guy voice, which is beautiful for about a minute. And then I don't know who you are. I have to go find somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's really interesting to watch things change and shift and what people are seeking and accepting. Because for me, it was always about, I want to know who you are. How do you, how are you going to greet me when you open your door and I'm standing there? Okay. Mm -hmm. Then why are you talking different on the video? Yeah. Right. But, and I know we've talked about this. We've talked about this today. There has been a lot of, uh, I don't know if a lot of is the right, you know, that sounds like major quantity, but you have experienced people's negative comments about your voice, which turns into voice stories, which turns into voice habits. And we had a really, I didn't know this. I did not know this. And you shared something with me before we started today about a voice habit that you've created that your amazing business coach has reflected back to you. And I said, I'd really love to talk about this because you are not the first person (laughs) that is doing this. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Well, to give people context, because this was prior to recording that Tracy and I were discussing this, one of the comments that I've received pretty much exclusively from women. I don't think a man has ever said this to me before. And if they did, I probably wouldn't have really cared that much. Um, But I've heard from several women over the course of my adult life that I'm intimidating Mm -hmm. or intense or, you know, whatever kind of 
synonym you want to pull for that. The intimidating intense words were the ones that came up the most often. And I think especially as a woman, there's a lot of pressure to be likable and to be making women comfortable and all of that. And so I feel like part of my response to that and the coping mechanism, however you want to describe that, is a tendency to self-deprecate. So maybe like make fun of myself or James mentioned, he came and did a, um, a guest expert spot at my mastermind retreat that we ran last fall. And I didn't even notice I was doing this. And that just goes to show you, it's like a habit that's unconscious at this point. But he pointed out to me that I kept saying how you know, thank goodness you're here because, and and I had just found out I was pregnant. So I was really not feeling great during that, mm-hmm. that retreat. And so it was like a combination of being like literally relieved that somebody else was kind of helping with delivering content, but also James is amazing and, you know, brings tons and tons of value to everything. So it's like, I was super grateful that he was there. And he also spent his whole day, you know, traveling down, participating in everything. So, you know, gratitude is very strong with that opportunity. But he told me that I kept saying, thank God you're here. You know, at least this will be good because you're here. And, you know, oh, I bet they would have just paid to see you, like that kind of stuff. And I think in my mind, it was probably like me trying to be complimentary and, you know, extra Mm -hmm. gracious to him being there. But (laughs) being the coach that he is, because he does not let his clients walk around with what he calls stinking thinking in their Mm -hmm. brains about stuff. He pointed out that like doing that wasn't necessarily helping anything as far as making people like me or making me less intimidating or anything like that. And it was also literally diminishing the power that I had. And the the things that he says he has seen in me was getting messed up or or subdued because of that way of operating. Mm -hmm. So it's like, not only is this not actually having a positive impact on anybody's perception of you, but also the potential you have as a leader and a coach and a mentor is harmed by you doing this. Mm -hmm. So, and he's pointed out to me multiple times, because again, it must be a very deep-seated, consistent habit that I have to do that. So at least now I'm way more aware of it. I find myself doing it. And again, it's probably like a multi-decade habit that I need to work out. But that is something that I think of all the things I've learned from James over the last several years of working with him, that's probably one of the things that's been the most difficult to take action on Mm -hmm. because I'm a big action taker. If he tells me to do something, I'm like, yep, going to go do it. And so that's the one thing where consciously I'm like, that sounds great. I don't want to make myself sound, you know, not confident or, you know, think I'm not worth anything or anything like that. And when it comes to actually eliminating that from my, my subconscious, it's definitely taken a lot of repetition and it's, it's, you know, taking a lot of time to, to rewrite that. So I wouldn't be surprised if other people, a lot of other people struggled with that, where if they felt like, especially women, right? Like one of the Mm -hmm. ways that we connect with other women is being on the same playing field, right? Like not making it, Oh, I'm better than you or, Oh, you know, I'm intimidating or whatever. And so, um, so that's definitely a work in progress for me, learning how to stand fully in my power, but also, you know, be warm at the same time and be approachable, which 
it's this tough balance to strike as a, mm-hmm. and I keep saying as a woman, I, again, I'm sure men experience this as well, but I do, I really do believe that for women, it's harder because we have different standards for what a woman's behavior should be like. And it's not as yeah. acceptable for a woman to be super confident and like not, you know. Oh yeah. There's societal implications around men's voices too, but the ones around women are far greater in in number and in intensity. And and I have known men that I've worked with that did that self-deprecating thing. So it's not it's not just exclusive to women, but before we're 12, girls are taught say what you need to say, say the truth, but don't upset anybody and don't rock any boats and and don't make anybody mad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, there's just one thing after another, and it's literally in the DNA. It's literally in this uncomfortableness of standing in power because, again, societal implication. You're okay. You have two choices. You're nice or you're the B word. No, no, no. There's a whole middle but that's the fear. And mm-hmm. so, uh oh, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm standing in too much power. Let me self deprecate. Or it's really deflection. And there's so many people, so many people that do it. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. So thank you for being willing to share that. I, I have a lot of people, they laugh too. They laugh at the most inopportune time that really getting their power on and they bust out laughing. Mm-hmm. It's deflection. Yeah. And it's, it's subtle, but it's huge. And I think some of those nuances are subtle and microscopic, but huge. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think self-deprecating humor is an example of something that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily consciously think is harmful, right? right? Like it's a very common form of humor. A lot of the comedy TV shows we watch are, mm-hmm. you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, people laugh at it. So you get the response that you were hoping for, right? If people think it's funny that right. you said that, but ultimately it, and that's not to say you should be full of yourself or something. I think a healthy dose of humility is always valuable as well, but being humble does not mean that you have to talk down about yourself to make other people comfortable. Right. So that's the thing that Either for me, it's like, if I think somebody's going to be intimidated by me, I'll, you know, kind of like knock myself down. Yeah, yeah. And then if I am in a room, like being in James's mastermind has been very eye-opening to me to learn, oh, it's, I think I'm confident until I show up in a room where everybody in the room is like these amazing, super successful most of them are making more money than me type of professionals. And just seeing how I respond emotionally to that and seeing like how I start to feel like even voice wise, like I'll feel, Mm -hmm. and I've mentioned this to you before on our private calls. Like, I feel like my throat literally gets tight and it's like, my voice is just like, it won't come out when Mm -hmm. I'm speaking in front of people like that. So it, I think for me, and I'm guessing this is the way that it is for a lot of people. I think it's like this unfortunate habit of making a hierarchy or a pecking order in my brain. And if I think that somebody's going to think I'm better than them, then I try to knock myself down. And then if I'm, oh, I'm the one that's like not good enough, then I'm like either needing to like somehow prove myself or Mm -hmm. 
just, oh, don't say anything and maybe nobody will notice that you like don't belong yeah. here. So at least I'm self-aware, right? I'm certainly still working on it. It's not, I'm I'm not uh, at a place where I can say, yeah, I, that doesn't bother me anymore. And it doesn't affect me. But I think ultimately the awareness plus the consistency in putting myself in those rooms where I'm intimidated is something that'll help yeah. kind of work its way out of me. And then working with a coach to keep pointing out when I'm doing it is really yeah, helpful yeah. too. Cause I think, it, you know, in my day-to-day life, I don't have that experience that often. I don't interact with a lot of people in the real, in the real world that I feel like mm-hmm. I'm in a pecking order with. So it's for whatever reason, sometimes it shows up in the business work that I do. So it's, it's, it's hard though. I think, like I said, I bet a lot of people experience it. And mm-hmm. I think our society trains us to look for where do we fall into that hierarchy. And it's sad because it's, I don't think it's accurate. And I know it's not true, but it is something where I, I find myself subconsciously doing it. And it's like, wait, 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 I don't need to do that. Why am I doing that? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just building new habits. And I, you know, as you were talking about that, I thought you've just climbed into the mind of half my listeners (laughs) because you're not the only one, you know, everything that you just, all those nuggets that you just dropped. I know I've got audience members that experience that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And it's just reframe, reframing those stories, reframing those beliefs and putting in a new habit. Yeah. Well, and I will say something that has surprised me recently is the physical response that I Mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. And I, I know you talk about this where, you know, a lot of what happens with your voice is kind of the physical response to the thought or the belief or the emotion that you're having. And so it's just really interesting, even when the thought in my head is like, no, obviously these people are like, they're normal. I know most of these people, like I don't need to be nervous around this group, but I can feel my body just like getting into that fight or flight response of, Mm. oh my gosh, I'm out of my element. Like I'm nervous. You know, what am I going to say? That kind of thing. And so it's really, that's kind of my next level of growth opportunity is disconnecting the physical response from that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Cause I think for me, that's something that's been getting in the way. That's again, the thought is like, no, there's no reason to feel intimidated by this group, but then my throat closes up. I get like, mm-hmm. you know, that anxiety response. And it's definitely frustrating because it feels like, you know, your body is just reacting to a circumstance that it's like, wait, everything's fine. Calm down. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I know it's, you know, it's a habit and it's something that gets created over, as I said, it's probably been at least 20 years for me oh, yeah. having that response. And it's it's not going to go away instantly, but I, I do think the awareness piece is the first step. So for sure, for sure. And I think there's always another level. I think it's for those who choose to do so, we can always continue growing. There's always another level. There's always another opportunity to get better at something, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because if you're not, if there wasn't, I mean, what's, what do you even do with yourself at that point if there's no opportunity to to do something new or to, to grow in a certain way? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they do. (laughs) <laughs> I'm always what on a those, mission. <laughs> what all those perfect people do walking around with yeah, no I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they have more time on their hands. I, Maybe. I right? Watch well, a lot of TV. Yeah, they must. I, I don't even have one. I don't even have a TV. I don't have time. I'm always trying to get better. <laughs> well, Laura, this is great. You have shared so much wonderful stuff with us today. I cannot thank you enough. I know my listeners really, really have gotten so much value out of this. 
Now, I don't know if I have your ideal client in my audience, but it wouldn't surprise me if I did. So for those people that are interested in building their business with you, where do do we send them? Yeah, well, depends on when you're listening and when this episode comes out. I do have a free training that's starting in February of 2022. So if this episode happens to be It'll out... It'll be out before then. Awesome. So the training is on February 3rd, 8th, and 10th. And it's pretty much me pulling back the curtain on everything we do to help our clients start, grow, and scale six-figure nutrition businesses online. Um, it's a really in-depth training. We ran it last year for the first time and people loved it. And it was you know, super valuable, I believe. Um, we got a lot of great feedback about it. So if people are interested in growing a nutrition business, then they can go to laurashoenfeld.com slash live, which is L-I-V-E. And I'll spell my last name because it's a little bit of a tricky one. S-C-H-O-E-N-F-E-L-D. If you follow me on Instagram and you want the link directly, just DM me. We can get that to you. Um, And so that's happening in the beginning of February. So if you happen to miss it, if it's past February 17th, when we shut that training down, I have a free guide to pricing that really actually could go for anybody. All my language is around nutrition business owners because I've learned the value of niching. And so that Mm. is my niche, but I have a guide to pricing that Mm. if you're a nutritionist, definitely would be great for if you're somebody who does coaching packages and one-on-one services and wants to, you know, figure out how much to charge for your hourly rate, how much to charge for packages, that kind of thing. It is something that can help figure that out for you. So I'm always very passionate about helping, especially women, but people in general make more money doing the things that they love to do. And so if you want to make sure that you're charging enough to Mm. actually reach your goals, then that is at lauraschoenfeld.com slash profit. So P-R-O-F-I-T. And I'll put these links in the show notes. So you've got them, but I'll put them in the show notes as well. And definitely check out Laura's work. Check out her podcast. And thank you again. Thank you so much for being here. Anything you want to leave us with? Any last thoughts? Any <laughs> any golden nugget around anything? I don't know if you want to say that because as you probably have seen over the last <laughs> hour, I can go off on tangents. But um, I don't know. I guess the theme of today's conversation is really just being okay with being yourself. Mm -hmm. and learning who you are and recognizing things that you do that maybe aren't you, right? Like me Mm -hmm. knocking myself down to make other people comfortable isn't me. Who I am is someone who's actually quite powerful and inspirational when I'm operating in my highest self. So just getting to learn who you are and not being afraid to show up as who you are and not feeling like you have to change yourself either, you know, to knock yourself down to make other people comfortable or to puff yourself up to impress other people. That's been a huge learning experience for me in the last few years of entrepreneurship. And I know I have a lot more to grow there, but I hope Mm -hmm. that if you take nothing else away from this conversation, that you can take that away, that being yourself is really the best way to be successful and to be happy, which is what we all want, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a perfect last nugget. And that that really is what the whole theme of today's conversation has been about. And I love that because that's what I'm all about. All right. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you for all your wisdom and your time. And thank you, listeners. It's always great to have you with us. 
But that's it for today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. And until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 